Good evening. President Donald J. Trump gets a double asterisk. He's the first president ever impeached twice. Threats mount against the city and the mayor of Washington, D.C. As Inauguration Day nears and New York City faces the mutant variant of the coronavirus while unbranding from the Trump organization. With these and other stories, I'm Paul DiRienzo with the WBAI News for Wednesday, January 13th, 2021. President Donald Trump has been impeached by the United States House of Representatives for incitement of insurrection at the Capitol, making him the first president to be impeached twice. The vote was 232 to 197, with 10 Republicans joining Democrats to impeach. On this vote, the ayes are 232, the nays are 197. The resolution is adopted without objection. The motion to reconsider is laid upon the table. The vote came as hundreds of National Guard soldiers patrolled the Capitol in a scene reminiscent of a nation at war caused by a mob siege of a joint session of Congress last week that killed a Capitol police officer. Trump, who's been suspended from social media platforms, made a statement today saying he decried violence by his own supporters. WBAI is joined by Democratic representative from Manhattan and the Bronx, Adriano Espaillat, who was a witness inside the Capitol shortly after the invasion. On the one hand, it was important and historic to ensure that we send a clear message to the nation that this kind of behavior from a a leader is unacceptable. On the other hand, it was sad to hear some of my colleagues still denied, uh, denied, denied, and and that's what's gotten to where we are. So, but at least it was the most nonpartisan impeachment in the history of the country, and the first time. A president gets impeached twice, so historic in that sense. Were you in the Capitol on January 6th? I was in my office, yes, and on my way to the Capitol, but in my office and remained in my office with my team until we were called to go vote. You weren't forced to go into the basement and hide under benches? No, I would, the police came to my office and they wanted me to go to this uh, area that they have sheltered the members, but I, I decided to stay in my office. And I'm sure you've, you've heard a lot of stories about what happened. Um, what have some of your uh, colleagues told you about what that experience was like? You know, horrible experience to hear the mob knocking, on the, knocking down the door. Very little security. It's uh, scary. It's, you know, facing, potentially facing death. Those guys came in with deadly intentions. Why do you think it was deadly intentions? They came with handcuffs, plastic handcuffs, to potentially kidnap some of the members. They set up a a gallows and a noose and a rope to hang someone outside. And clearly they were chanting, hang by tents, and they were looking for Pelosi. So these folks came in there. This was a killer mob that was incited by President Trump. Did you expect this? I didn't think they would get into the Capitol, but in the morning when I came in, I noticed that security was lax, and I just found it very strange that I was walking on the sidewalk with like 10 demonstrators, uh, and they were able to just walk right into the complex the same way I did, without any measure impeding them from doing so. And I just thought it was very weird, very lax, the security. Is there going to be an investigation of that? Yes. In fact, I have a resolution that I presented that, that calls for a in-depth investigation of what's happening. But what happened, I understand that they have floor maps and uh, they may have gotten uh, some 
inside help. That's amazing. Hard to believe. Yeah. Uh, isn't it possible that all this talk of impeachment might hinder the president when he comes into power and he has so many things he has to do just a week from now? No, I think it's a good government practice. I think it's something that we cannot dig our heads in the sand or make believe that it did, did not happen. You know, five people are dead. You just can't ignore that, right? And security is is an issue now in the Capitol. And uh, this mom was looking, um, haunting down uh, members of Congress and the leadership. And so, no, you can't ignore that. You can't sweep that under the rug. Absolutely not. The inauguration, how's that going to be? So I plan to attend, as I did before all of this happened. And I think it's important that we send a message that government will not stop. Just like we did that night when we went to the floor and voted to finalize our work. I think it's important that we show the rest of the world that we will continue to do that. Thank you very much, Congressman. appreciate your time. Democratic representative from Manhattan and the Bronx, Adriano Aspayat. In a last-ditch effort, Republicans had offered a bipartisan commission to investigate the January 6th attack on the Capitol by allies of the president, GOP Representative Kevin McCarthy. The president bears responsibility for Wednesday's attack on Congress by mob rioters. He should have immediately denounced the mob when he saw what was unfolding. These facts require immediate action by President Trump. Accept his share of responsibility. Quell the brewing unrest. And ensure President-elect Biden is able to successfully begin his term. What we saw last week was not the American way. Neither is the continued rhetoric that Joe Biden is not the legitimate president. Let's be clear. Joe Biden will be sworn in as president of the United States in one week because he won the election. And that's uh, Kevin McCarthy, GOP representative. But Democrats were unmoved by pleas for unity or threats of angering the Trump base. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi. We know that we face enemies of the Constitution. We know we experience the insurrection that violated the sanctity of the people's capital and attempted to overturn the duly recorded will of the American people. And we know that the President of the United States incited this insurrection, this armed rebellion against our common country. He must go. He is a clear and present danger to the nation that we all love. And others, that was House Speaker Nancy Pelosi. Others spoke out. Minnesota Democrat Ilan Omar, an immigrant from Somalia and often a target of threats by Trump and his supporters, says plain and simple what happened last week was terrorism. Let us not mince words about what happened last week. It was a violent attempt to interrupt our democratic process. It was a targeted blow at the most essential process that makes us a democracy. It was a direct and specifically incited by the President of the United States. For years, we have been asked to turn a blind eye to the criminality, corruption, and blatant disregard to the rule of law by the tyrant President we have in the White House. We as a nation can no longer look away. The President not only incited an insurrection against our government, but has in word and deed led a rebellion. We cannot simply move past this or turn the page. 
For us to be able to survive as a functioning democracy, there has to be accountability. We must impeach and remove this president from the office immediately so that he cannot be a threat to our democracy. I stand ready to fulfill my oath of office. And I challenge my colleagues on the other side of the aisle to do the same. I yield back. Minnesota Democrat Representative Ilan Omar. Trump is the only U.S. president to be twice impeached. The assault on the Capitol revealed the fragility of the nation's history of peaceful transfers of power. It forced a reckoning among some Republicans. But the threats aren't limited to members of Congress in Trump's sights. Washington, D.C.'s Mayor Muriel Bowser has been also getting threats. She says the usual security wasn't available on January 6th to police the Stop the Steal protest because it had not been considered a major event. The events of January 6th, the insurrection of the Capitol, those protests did not uh, fall into a national special event category. The inauguration of the president does, which puts in place an entirely different command and control structure within the federal government. Uh, So we are very confident about that type of coordination as we have been with other national special security events. It's a whole different um, structure uh, in extending the time period so that um, that structure could be in place earlier in case of the threats that we have heard um, from the FBI's bulletin about these protests starting earlier and starting at locations all around the country, I think we will benefit from that. With D.C. considering closing down its hotels and yanking permits for many protests during the inauguration next week, the mayor also said, uh, was also heartened to hear that Airbnb, the house-sharing company, had announced it will cancel all reservations in D.C. surrounding the inauguration. A protest organization known as Shutdown D.C. says they commended Airbnb and support closing the hotels. Alex is an organizer with the group. Because the last time white nationalists came to D.C., they stayed in hotels and they were an enormous threat not only to, obviously, everyone in the city. They used those hotels as the base for their violence, but they were also an enormous threat to the staff who work in those hotels who had no recourse against uh, guests who were clearly harassing, you know, harassing and had just perpetrated violence. A lot of these white nationalists who come to town also ignore mask orders, and so they are spreading covid Um, And the staff in these hotels are particularly at risk. We were really heartened and applaud Airbnb for their announcement today that they're canceling all Airbnb reservations in the region and paying um, uh, Airbnb hosts to for for the loss of business. We think that that's a really responsible move by corporations in this moment. We call on hotels to follow that model and close their hotels and pay staff to stay home. Um, We recognize that it's a loss of revenue, but at this point, seeing the violence that happened last week, we all really feel that it's just imperative both for the safety of the people who live here, the 700,000 people in Washington, D.C. who call the city home, um, as well as for the federal government and all of their workers. Do you see any current threats, anything on the streets right now? Right now, a lot of the city is on lockdown. So they've closed streets downtown. They've put up fencing throughout the downtown area. Don't you worry that if they shut down these protests, then they would give them more power to shut down protests from your organization? The violence that happened last week is unprecedented. And if 
I believe that there is anything that needs to happen in order for that violent type of violence to happen against the United States government is appropriate. Alex is an organizer with the group Shutdown DC. Threats of constant violent attacks against the inauguration beginning this weekend have been circulating on the Internet, including calls to surround the White House to keep the new president, Joe Biden, from entering. And finally, last Friday, in a reply to a Freedom of Information Law request, New York City's Department of Design and Construction, DDC, stated the city's value engineering report on the Eastside Coastal Resiliency, or ESCR, plan could not be sent because it did didn't exist. Well, that might not be a big story if it wasn't that the entire reason for the $1.4 billion plan was based on Mayor de Blasio saying back in September 2018 in a fact sheet that the reason for the change, and which is very unpopular with the community, was because of the value engineering report. We spoke with Emily Johnson. She's resident of the Lower East Side, a member of the Yippic Nation, a native group here in Manhattan, which is the native name for Manhattan. She had this to say. This value engineering report based on the FOIL request and response, it doesn't exist. And so the question then to me points to why is this ESCR plan being pushed through such to the point that our elected officials are lying to us, to community members who live here and who will be deeply affected by the ESCR and are also lying to other elected officials. What is a value report? Why is its missing status so important? After Hurricane Sandy, many community organizations, many community people worked with the city to develop and to vision and to plan a resilience plan and a flood protection plan, which obviously the Lower East Side and all of Manhattan needs to face the coming challenges of climate change. So they worked on a plan for many, many years. The plan won a design and was moving forward as everyone thought that it should and would. But then very suddenly in 2018, the mayor released a press release and very suddenly changed the plan from this community-backed envisioned plan to the city's ESCR plan. And in that press release, and he referenced the reason for the change was the value engineering report. So the cornerstone of the city's change to the ESCR is this value engineering report. So of course, we want to see this value engineering report to determine why the ESCR is so much better. We know it costs about twice as much as the other plan. We know that it completely destroys 57 acres of East River Park, which the community-backed plan did not. So why is a plan that is more destructive and much more expensive, why is that a better plan? The ESCR is also not a safe plan for our community. The ESCR, as it is designed right now by the city, and the, it is the plan that the mayor and uh, Carlina Rivera back, offers no interim flood protection for the community here on the Lower East Side. So that means that once any part of that destruction starts, it leaves our neighborhood immediately and absolutely vulnerable to storm surges, any storm surge that might occur, but during the entire construction period, which the city says will be three years, but we know will take many, many years. And that entire park flattened, bulldozed, destroyed, a million tons of backfill. This is the city's plan. A million tons of backfill will be put on top and then the put what they call a new park on top of that. The fact that there is no interim flood protection 
is a really crucial thing to pay attention to, especially in connection to this reality that we understand now, which is that the value engineering report does not exist. These two things combined make for a plan that doesn't put people's health or lives or trust at the forefront. Any of the health impacts that are going to come from the destruction of East River Park is the NYCHA residents who live all along the west edge of the park, just across the FDR, the NYCHA residents who will also bear the brunt of that construction, of the dumping, and of the effect of the air quality, which is related to the construction, but also to the destruction of the 1,000 trees and all of the green space, the only large outdoor green space that we have for health and wellness here on the Lower East Side. Emily Johnson is a resident of the Lower East Side, and she's involved in the fight to stop the construction of the East Side Resiliency Plan, which would destroy East River Park for a number of years and leave, according to this group, the neighborhood vulnerable to storm surges.